What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Sunday, August 7th, 2022. Holy smokes, guys. The St. Louis Cardinals are en fuego. They're unstoppable right now. What a game on Sunday afternoon at Bush Stadium as the Cardinals survive the marathon. They defeat the New York Yankees 12-9. to in a game that took four hours and 25 minutes, but it didn't really feel that way. I mean, other than the fact that you looked up at the clock and it was nighttime when the game was over, while you're in the middle of it, it just felt like constant action, fantastic, exciting baseball on both sides, as was the case all three games of this series. And yet, at the end of each of them, the St. Louis Cardinals come out on top. They sweep the Yankees three games in a row. They extend their winning streak to seven consecutive wins. And that leading division is looking pretty stable right now as well. Two games ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers. After eight days ago, nine days ago, the Cardinals were four games back in the division. Now they're two games clear of Milwaukee. Crazy, crazy week. And the Cardinals, they may just be getting started, folks, because... This team is starting to come together, and they're putting it together at just about the best time that you could hope for as the stretch run really gets going. I think the trade deadline rejuvenated this team. But today it was all about the offense. So in today's episode of B-Shape Daily, we'll get into how the Bats won this game and clinched this sweep for the St. Louis Cardinals on Sunday. Not the way the other two games in the series went, but you knew... I think pretty early in this one that it was going to be different, that it was going to be a a weird one. It was almost like Wrigley Field South at Bush Stadium on Sunday, just with the way things were going. Balls maybe flying out a little bit more, but the home runs the Cardinals hit, they didn't need any help from the wind on Sunday. Two big home runs, massive swings by two key contributors to the Cardinals, and so we'll get into the job done by Nolan Arenado to turn this game back around with his three-run homer in the bottom of the second inning after things hadn't really gotten off to a very good start for St. Louis. But Cardinals' bats were resilient. They were resilient throughout this game. Every time the Yankees clawed back with something, the Cardinals were sure to answer shortly thereafter. And how about Paul DeYoung? We'll get into his day as well as what he's brought to the table for the Cardinals. I'm telling you this right now. If this Paul DeYoung, the Paul DeYoung that we saw This weekend and the one that we've seen really over the past week or so since he was recalled from Memphis, if that guy is here to stay, the Cardinals lineup might be be something. Might have something serious on their hands in St. Louis. A new dynamic to this offense, to this roster, that they didn't really have a whole lot of it at different spots in the lineup where Paul DeYoung has been contributing some damage over the past week. So we'll get into the, the entire discussion of the offense How sustainable is it? How exciting was it to see? Talk about all that as the Cardinals once again, 12-9 over the Yankees on Sunday. We'll have to talk about the pitching as well. There was some good and some bad, and then I think some questions that arrived because of certain situations that developed in this game. Adam Wainwright, obviously not his best start. We'll talk about the day for him, what he thought of it afterward. I thought it was interesting that Ollie Marmel allowed him to go back out for the fifth inning despite the high pitch count. But that's where I mentioned the situations and the situations that developed over the course of this, not only this game, but this series for the Cardinals and the way Marmol had to manage the bullpen. I thought he was nails with the bullpen management the first couple of games in this series. Today was 
a little bit all over the place. It, it was sort of by design, but it also felt like it had to be that way when you get the short start by your ace Wainwright. But is the alignment in the Cardinals' bullpen the best fit for what this roster needs moving forward? Because there's one guy that we still have not seen appear in the game, any game for the Cardinals, since July 26th. And so we'll talk about that and how that maybe factored in a little bit today to some of the pitching decisions that Oliver Marmel had to make. But hey, overall, really good news, really good vibes around this Cardinals team right now. Seven consecutive wins. They're sitting pretty atop the NL Central. And on the show today, we'll tell you how they extended that lead. But before we get into the content of the show, quick reminder that you can subscribe to Be Shape Daily on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Really anywhere you get your audio listening pleasure from sports podcasts or the like. Head on over to anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Click on more platforms. And there you'll be able to find all the locations where B-Shape Daily can be found. Something else you can do on Anchor, if you go to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message, that's where you can record your very own voice message that can be played right here on B-Shape Daily. If you've got Cardinals questions, comments, concerns, or anything you'd like to share with the show, you can do that by once again going to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message to let your voice message be heard on the podcast. And if you'd like to support the show, I genuinely appreciate those who have been doing so recently. It's really cool to see from you guys, and it means a lot to me. But all you got to do is go to Twitter at bshafer12, click on the money tab right next to the follow button, which if you're not following on Twitter, would love for you to do that, by the way. I think tonight I actually hit 20,000 followers on Twitter, so that's really cool. But the money tab right there on the Twitter page looks like a dollar bill. It's a link to the Venmo or the Cash App, so appreciate you guys there for your contributions to Be Shape Daily. And we're getting things rolling, baby. Like, this could be a September, obviously the rest of August, but a September and October to remember with the way the Cardinals are playing right now. So we might be having some fun on Be Shape Daily over the next couple months. I can definitely see the possibilities there. But let's go ahead and get into the game from Sunday, 12-9. A four-hour and 25-minute game that Dakota Hudson didn't even pitch in. How does that happen, right? The longest game, the longest nine-inning game, that is, in the history of Bush Stadium 3. So we're setting multiple records this weekend pertaining to the ballpark. Saturday was the attendance record, the largest recorded attendance, 48,581 in the history of Bush Stadium 3, thanks to that Joe Torre bobblehead, right? And then on Sunday, they break the record for the longest nine-inning game. But I don't think anybody who was in attendance at Bush minded even had a little rain shower there in the middle to, to keep everybody cool a little bit. I know it was hot and humid and sticky and just gross. It's St. Louis in August. That's sort of the way that it goes. Jordan Montgomery found that out the hard way on Saturday, which, by the way, if you didn't catch that podcast yet, scroll back on your B-Shape Daily feed wherever you listen to the show and make sure to catch up on a weekend full of podcasts as we broke down the Cardinals' First two wins in the series over the New York Yankees. And tonight, or today rather, it was a totally different vibe to this game. Totally different from what we had seen so far in the series. First two games, well-pitched, even at times where you felt the starter may not have had his best stuff, obviously, like Dakota Hudson we talked about on Friday. It wasn't great, but you had Palante come in, and it was just all about holding serve in those first two games. Jordan Montgomery, 
a little shaky in the first inning, but he held serve through five innings before leaving with the, the, the cramping in the legs there. Bullpen comes in and does the job. Gio Gallegos in the ninth on Saturday. Like, it was intense 18 innings of baseball for the first two games of the series, but you didn't have a lot of the the offense that we saw on Sunday. 21 combined runs between the two teams, 27 hits. Cardinals were actually out hit in this game 16 to 11. But the hits that they did acquire did damage. Significant damage by the Cardinals on Sunday. Dylan Carlson, Paul DeYoung, and Nolan Arenado coming up with doubles in the game, and then the two big swings. Arenado and then Paul DeYoung in the eighth with the insurance of a lifetime like a good neighbor. Paul DeYoung was there, found that hanging slider off Scott Efros in the eighth inning for a three-run shot, and with the solo shot that was hit in the top of the ninth off Ryan Helsley, that Paul DeYoung home run ends up being a big swing in this game. Just massive from Paul DeYoung. We've seen it since he came back up from Memphis. It was uh, last weekend. I think he was up for the Saturday game, so eight days ago or so, right around the time the Cardinals started getting this thing rolling again. Paul DeYoung has... The batting average hasn't been tremendous, although the two hits in three at-bats today should help, but he's still probably below 250. I haven't calculated it yet. But the damage has just been exceptional for DeYoung. Three home runs, three doubles, took two walks today as well, on base four times in total. And that's coming out of the seven hole in the Cardinals lineup. And you had contributions elsewhere in the batting order. All but Donovan and Goldschmidt had hits today. And both of the two that didn't, Donnie and Goldie, they ended up reaching base twice via walk. So you had everybody contributing from top to bottom in the lineup on Sunday. Talk about Arenado. The swing that he had there in the second inning, that was like the timing of that was so critical for the Cardinals. Because Adam Wainwright in the top of the second there, first of all, run score in the first inning. You get a feeling like, okay, this this game could go a little bit haywire quickly right now. But Wainwright was able to get out of that first inning, only allowing the one run. It could have been worse than it was. But in the second inning, sort of a redux of what had happened in the first. And Ed Hickox, man, and if you were watching this game, you know what I'm about to get into. Home plate umpire Ed Hickox had a bad day at the ballpark. Just not a good day at the office for the HPU. And... It, w- it was more like just regular PU if you were having an opinion on, on his calls. And that was true of both sides. But the Cardinals, they they were bearing the brunt of that a little bit early on as Wainwright. You won't ever see Adam Wainwright get demonstrative about calls on the field, about an umpiring situation with balls and strikes. You hardly ever see it. And even Wainwright was barking a little bit, just not anything too crazy, but the fact that he said anything at all as of the second inning of the game. I think it was just basically something like, was that up? What was, you know, I think he was looking for some clarification because, I mean, if Adam Wainwright's doing it, you know that it's something peculiar. You know it's unusual. And he had to kind of battle through that. And when you get that first pitch to Aaron Judge, man, that was the one, and I believe this was in that second inning. When you have a situation like that, that is one that can turn a game on its head. And it's just, I'm not, and again, I'm not a proponent of the notion of robot umpires, I've never been into that. But days like today might make me rethink my position because it was really, really tough. In that second inning in particular, things were rolling for the Yankees. They led off the inning with three consecutive singles. Wayno gets the one strikeout of Trevino and then hits Marwin Gonzalez with a pitch. 
gets the second strikeout. So you think, okay, we're going to limit the damage here. We're going to make sure only one run is going to come through in this inning. But then again, it's Aaron Judge. And it does not help that Aaron Judge got a ball one call that was just absolutely not a ball. It was a curveball that was toward the top of the zone, perhaps, but it was in there. And the, the reaction from Yadier Molina was dead perfect. Cardinals Gifts did a great job chronicling the the direct look at what Yadi had to not had to say, but had to feel, had to express about about that one. It was just like he did a double take. He couldn't believe it. Curveball right there in the top of the zone. Yadi kind of pounds the mitt, looking back at the home plate umpire, like, wait a minute, you didn't call. Why didn't you raise your arm? Sir, when the, when the ball goes in this little box, you raise your arm. Indicates strike one. It's kind of what you do. No, you're really not. Okay. I mean, he froze. It took him like three seconds to throw the ball back to Adam Wainwright. He was like deadpan. Couldn't, he thought he was being punked. It was so bad. It's like the guy had never seen a curveball before. If you look on the, the Bally broadcast, and I know the K-Zone on the, on the TV broadcast isn't always perfect, but it looks like it was about the dot that they put up was right about where the ball did come in across the plate. And it was it was lower than the top of the zone by multiple inches. And it was right down the middle. Not to mention the fact that it's Aaron Judge. You can't throw a strike too high to Aaron Judge. It's He's like massive. I'm just watching this replay over and over right now as I'm talking about it. And I cannot believe it happened. Wainwright actually battled back in the at-bat, getting the next two strikes, throwing some really good pitches. But at that point, at that point, he should have been out of the inning. And I know, butterfly effect, we can't say the same exact thing would have happened. But come on. That's one of the worst ones I've ever seen in terms of a, a home plate umpire making a mistake on balls and strikes. So Wainwright ends up giving the hit up the middle to Aaron Judge, which of course could have happened anyway, but we'll never really know the way it would have developed. You get ahead, that, that curveball for Wainwright, he can throw it in any count. And OO to judge was such a smart time to throw it because, you know, he's just probably not looking to expect. He's probably thinking sinker. He's going to pound me low and in. He's going to come up with some. He's going to cut her off the plate. You know, it just, it was a really good pitch selection, I felt like, by Yachty and Bueno. And it was for naught as the umpire just missed it. So ends up that Aaron Judge gets the base hit. A couple of runs come in to score. And the Cardinals are down in this game at that point after the top of the second. Four to one. But thank you, Frankie Montas, because <laughs> Frankie Montas, again, everybody thought he'd be pitching at Bush Stadium this weekend, and he was, right? So the, it's exactly what everybody thought it would be right before the trade deadline, right? Except the Cardinals didn't acquire Frankie Montas. The Yankees did, and therefore the Yankees felt comfortable enough to trade Jordan Montgomery to the Cardinals for Harrison Bader. And that trade, at least so far, is looking pretty good for the Cardinals, considering Guys like Dylan Carlson stepping up in that outfield. Lars Newtbar, holy smokes. We got to talk about Lars Newtbar making an unbelievable defensive play for the second day in a row. The conversation on Saturday asking Nolan Arenado, you know, what was which was the better play? You or Lars, that play that Nolan made diving to his right and then throwing out the runner from his knees, Josh Donaldson. The play that Lars made on Saturday, he said he kind of lost the ball in the lights a little bit. That's why he got a little bit of a hesitation there and, and was a little late to get to it. But the play that he made today coming in, diving on that sinking liner, the tongue was out, so it counts. That's the way it works for Lars Nupar. Uh He wasn't able to to put the tongue out during his catch 
on Saturday because I think he was chewing gum. Tongue was out, though, for the play on Sunday. Just, I mean, that dude can play some right field. And so you lose Harrison Bader, but you've got Lars Newbar scooping up everything in right field. Nothing gets by him. Dylan Carlson playing really sturdy defensive center field. And by the way, has a nice day at the plate as well. Leading off for the Cardinals. I hope that sticks, and I hope he's able to justify it sticking. Two for four with a walk. He's on base three times. That's the table setter that you need. Had the double, scored two runs. Also drove one in. So just a big job all around by the Cardinals outfield in in the wake of this deal. But that second inning was that second inning, the five runs the Cardinals score was critical. And you have to thank a little bit the job done by Frankie Montas because he he gave the Cardinals a little bit in that inning. And that's really what I, I've loved about the way the Cardinals have gone about things over this winning streak. They're taking what the other side gives them. Paul DeYoung, Yadier Molina, they lead off the inning with consecutive walks. And then it's like, all right, yeah, you're down in the game. Wainwright's pitch count is uber high. You don't like any of that. But you're right in this sucker. Dylan Carlson with the double. The crack of the bat on that one to right center field was something else, wasn't it? I mean, this guy, this guy's going to be, this guy's going to be just fine. The fact that it was so close to the center fielder that hit by Carlson, like it wasn't too deep into the gap. It was closer to the center fielder, but it goes all the way to the wall. He just hit the thing so hard. I really got to look up the the stat cast on the exit velocity of that swing because that's really where the Cardinals began in the second inning to start taking advantage of the two walks that they came up with. Because if you don't end up doing that, if you don't get it done after two walks to lead off an inning, and Tommy Edmond had struck out, so you were essentially, if you're Frankie Montas, you're thinking the Dakota Hudson Classic, you're one pitch from getting out of it. And he was at that point if he would have been able to get Dylan Carlson. But it's not the way it went out. 106.2 miles per hour off the bat. Exit velocity for that Dylan Carlson double in the second. Ends up being the fifth hardest hit baseball of the game. Second hardest by a Cardinal. With number one being uh, the swing that Nolan Arenado had a few batters later in the same inning. Goldie with the sacrifice fly scores Yachty. And I was just marveling at the way Yadier Molina was rumbling home on that sack fly. Nolan didn't give me a lot of time to think about it, though, because an absolute moonshot by Arenado put the Cardinals back on top. Arenado with a drive. In the deep left. It's at the wall. Gone! Into the Yankee bullpen. Bush Stadium erupts. The 11th two-out home run by Nolan Arnato, 17th with men on of the 22 that he's hit. And it came on the first pitch for the third time this year. Courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest, what a call by Danny Mack on that one too, by the way. You could just sense the energy in the building. The game was far from over. Little did we know there was still like three hours and 40 minutes or so at that point remaining in this game. But a lot had happened. Already to that point, the Cardinals were down. The Cardinals were down significantly for the first time in this series. The Yankees hadn't scored four runs all series to that point. Three runs in the first game on Friday. They got shut out on Saturday. So Cardinals are in an unfamiliar spot in this series. They could have taken the approach of, well, we already got the series win. It's not the end of the world. We knew the Yankees were going to get us eventually, right? That could have been the mindset. 
You've got Adam Wainwright on the mound and things aren't going your way. You probably could throw your hands up and say, well, let's call this a successful weekend anyway. We took two or three. Arenado's like, hell no, and just sends it to the moon. And it's not that it went super far. It landed in the visiting bullpen, but it was a towering shot and really almost made its way out of the back of the bullpen. So he got all of it. There's no question about that. And the 106.3 miles per hour exit velocity off the bat would tell you that much as well. This guy's been absolutely scorching recently. We read his numbers last night since mid-June, which demonstrated that it hasn't really been a like a small sample size stretch for Arenado where you can manipulate the numbers and go, wow, his OPS is 9 million over the past four days. Like it's not, it's been a steady drumbeat since mid-June that Arenado has really picked it up and has been able to get this thing going. His OPS is up to 920. And that's approaching Colorado territory for his numbers. We haven't really seen that yet in his Cardinals career. But in his prime years, we'll start with the all-star year, the first one that he had in 2015 when he went for 42 and 130 in terms of homers and RBIs. He had an 898 OPS that year. Then it went up to 932, 959, 935, and 962 in the final year before the COVID season where he dropped off considerably, but it was a small sample, so we don't really worry about that. The Cardinals certainly didn't when they acquired him because that's they traded for him off that COVID season. But you, that's four years in a row from where he had OPS between 932 and 962. That's a model of consistency, and you wondered, well, you take him out of Coors Field, would he, would he ever be that same guy again? Now he's on the other side of 30 years old. Last year, the OPS in his first year as a Cardinal, 807. And I use OPS again because it gives you a better picture than just batting average. Back in Colorado, he was a consistent 290 to 300 hitter. 294 to 315 was the range within those four seasons. First year as a Cardinal, hit 255. COVID year was 253. So you thought, okay, even if he's not the same guy in batting average, it's still 807 the OPS. The slugging percentage was still close to 500. He hit 34 home runs and drove in 105. What more could you want? Well, Arenado was pretty clear that in terms of his discussion of his offseason and the focus with which he came into spring training this year, he was pretty clear that that was not satisfactory to him to have an 807 OPS, to have such a low batting average relative to his career norms. It's a 289 hitter lifetime on base percentage near 350. Last year it was 312. Like he was down from what he expected of himself. And so he really put the time and the effort in to making that making that better. And now in an era where offense is really down league wide, Arenado is having one of those Colorado type seasons as of the moment. 22 homers after today's bomb, 68 runs driven in. His average now is up to 301, a 370 on base which is just nine points off of his career best of 379 back in 2019. And the 551 slug is right in line with those norms from when he was within Colorado. Just a, a tick lower than some of those numbers, 570 to 580 to 560. He's 560, or pardon me, 551 right now. The OPS of 920 is just knocking on the door of some of his prime seasons. But I mentioned that Offense is down league-wide. And so you look at OPS+, Plus, which takes his performance 
and normalizes it, adjusts it to the player's ballpark, which is a factor because Bush is a tougher place to hit. So if you put up a 920 OPS when Bush is the place you're playing half the time, that's going to be drastically different from doing the very same thing playing half your games at Coors Field. And so he's rewarded a little bit for that. It normalizes across the league. That's what OPS Plus does. League average being 100. He's at a 161, which would be a career high. So you could make the argument that adjusted to his his home ballpark, Arenado is having a career year right now after the run he's gone on the last six weeks or so, six, seven weeks as of now. And if he keeps this going, and if Paul Goldschmidt keeps going what he has done so far this season, which has been an MVP caliber season, the OPS at 1029, he's... He's got the ratio triple crown right now, batting 332, best in the league, 415 on base, best in the league, 614 slug, you guessed it, tops in the National League. 1029 is his OPS. That's the best, of course, as well. If Paul Goldschmidt is that guy and Nolan Arenado is the guy looking to nip at his heels and catch him, which, by the way, with what he does defensively, I can't even count Nolan Arenado out of the MVP conversation either. And that's not something that we really were saying much of, I don't know, a few weeks ago when this run started for Arenado. His OPS was around 8, 818 or something like that, 820, when he got this really going toward the tail end of June. But Nolan Arenado needs consideration. He's loud on the defensive side, and now he's really starting to get loud again on the offensive side of the game. OPS in National League ranks, he's number four with 921 at this point. You've got Austin Riley with the 29 home runs. Pete Alonso is there as well. Kyle Schwarber leads the league in homers, but his OPS is, I mean, he's hitting 204. That's, it's not going to be an MVP caliber guy. You can't just look at the, the homers. And for Arenado, only 22, there's a lot of guys in the league that have more than that. Not a ton of guys that have more RBIs. He's in the top 10 in RBIs. And OPS, that's what I'm looking at. Are you getting on base? Are you slugging? Put those numbers together. He's in the top five. So I think the more he does what he's been doing, the more MVP consideration he's going to get alongside Paul Goldschmidt. But man, with those two going at the same time, we've marveled over the past year and a half, what would happen if Goldie and Arenado really truly got it going at the same time? And that was the thought process, too, behind going after Juan Soto, because if you get those three, that's another infinity stone, and you would, you'd would you be virtually unstoppable if you had three guys like that at the same time. Cardinals don't have that, but what they do have, because they didn't trade for Soto, they've still got Carlson, steady drum beat. Hopefully he's able to justify that leadoff role, as I mentioned. Tyler O'Neill getting going would be so huge for this Cardinals team. He hasn't quite locked it in the way that he had been earlier. You know, he he came up from the injured list that first time. When he got off the injured list for the first time, he had about 12 days in June, I think it was, where he was nails. June 7th to June 19th or so, Tyler O'Neill had locked it in. He was healthy, and his OPS for that stretch, 905, which is about what he was for the entire 2021 season. And you thought, okay, if they get this guy back, Look out. That could that could legitimately mean something for the Cardinals. You have another big-time power bat in the middle of your lineup. Since he's come back from the injured list the second time, he's hitting 196, OPS of 650, unfortunately, since July 14th. So not exactly what 
you were hoping to see from Tyler O'Neill. The power has just been a little bit few and far between. Only two home runs during that stretch. It's about three and a half-ish weeks since he's returned. Cardinals would love to see him get it going. But what they have enjoyed, at least over the past week or so, is Paul DeYoung getting it going. And Paul DeYoung could be, I mean, Ali Marmel has said, and it was brought up again on Saturday, that this offense is better, this team is at its best, when Paul DeYoung is doing Paul DeYoung things. And that's a nice way to to talk about your teammate and talk about, for Ali to talk about one of his players. But I think genuinely, when Paul DeYoung is doing the, the types of things that he did in the seasons where he was really putting it together. And I know it's been a long time, but when Paul DeYoung is just hammering mistake pitches like he did, Scott Efros, it wasn't a good pitch, and Paul DeYoung made him pay for it. We'll go ahead and listen to Paul DeYoung from after the game here, courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest, give you a feel for what Paul DeYoung's been doing, and then I'm going to give you his numbers since he's returned from Memphis, from that demotion that had to be a a difficult experience for him, but hopefully career-altering in a good way. But let's let Paul DeYoung describe in his own words what the past few days have been like for him, especially this series against the Yankees as he played a big role in the Cardinals sweep. It's a great test for us, almost like playoff baseball. I mean, you saw how long that game was today, back and forth. I mean, just a great series. I mean, one nothing yesterday, and, you know, we come back in the eighth the other night. So, I mean, it's just a, just a really fun series. You know, we, those games could have gone either way, but super happy with the way our group responded with Every punch they gave us, we threw one back. Talks through the home run. It seems like that may have been your best swing since you've come back. Yeah, I mean, he, he threw me seven straight sliders or something in game one of the series. So I knew I was trying to get something hanging up close to me and uh, kind of surprised me the first pitch sinker in. I was lucky enough I fouled it off and then just a uh, slider that hung up there in the middle. I just put a good swing on. I was pretty much looking for something soft and up and got it and I'm just glad we did because uh, we needed that that extra run in there. Do you believe in any hits that aren't extra base hits? <laughs> yeah, I've had a few lineouts, um, some hard ground balls that didn't get through, but uh, you know, I think uh, if I can continue just with guys in scoring position, big spots, just stay within myself and allow my natural uh, ability to take over. You know, it's not like I'm trying to hit extra base hits, but it's just a product of getting a good pitch and just being relaxed. That's Paul DeYoung after the Cardinals 12-9 win over the Yankees on Sunday. I love Frank Cusimano's questions. Are you believe in anything other than extra base hits, or is that pretty much all you're going to uh, to provide moving forward? And the reason he asked the question, tongue-in-cheek though it may have been, is that in 25 at-bats since returning from Memphis over the last eight games during which the Cardinals have gone 7-1, and one, so he played in that Saturday game, and then I guess the winning streak began with the Palante win on Sunday over the Nationals. And then they've swept the Cubs, swept the Yankees, so that would be seven in a row, doing some quick math here. Since returning, he's had six hits and 25 at-bats, 32 plate appearances. Good to see the walk rate, by the way, up around 19 20% because of the six walks that he's drawn since returning. But in the six hits that he's had since returning, three have been doubles, the other three home runs, 10 runs driven in, and yeah, it's a 240 batting average. That doesn't blow your socks off. What does, though, is the 375 on base because of that walk rate and the 720 slugging percentage for a 1095 OPS. Yes, sir. That'll do. <laughs> that is exactly what the Cardinals would like to see from Paul DeYoung, and he doesn't even have to be that good to maintain his spot in the everyday lineup. And I love that they've given him a chance to play every day as well. And the fact that he is rewarding the team with big swings, 
he basically had the game-winning swing in two of the three games in this series. Arenado had the only RBI on Saturday, but Paul DeYoung in the eighth inning on Friday had the double that put the Cardinals on top after they were trailing in the game. I think it was 3-2 to two at the time, two-run double. Today, Sunday, it was uh, the Cardinals already leading at the, at the moment, but it was a one-run game, 9-8. to eight. He hits the three-run shot, and then the Yankees get one back in the top of the ninth. Paul DeYoung had to be sitting pretty in the in the field at the shortstop position when Helsley gave up that homer, because he knew, yep, it's the re- I'm the reason that this game isn't tied right now. The three run home run essentially ends up being the winning swing for the Cardinals on Sunday. So an OPS over a thousand since he's come back. I don't expect him to maintain that, but he doesn't have to. He plays good defense, by the way. He was. I don't think we talked enough on Saturday about the defensive job that he did, uh, or I should say Friday. Because Friday, after putting the Cardinals ahead with his bat, he ends up making that play ranging way to his left on the Carpenter check swing. Tommy Edmond was deep in the hole. That was a game-saving play as well. Who knows the way that devolves from there if if he's not able to make the glove flip to the first baseman to end the game. He had another play earlier in the game where I just noted the aggressiveness to myself. Again, Edmond was deep in the hole. It was a slow roller to the second base bag or the second base area where Edmund was playing, he was going to square it up and try to fire to first base. But DeYoung, aggressive, moving to his left because they're shifted. He's playing closer to the bag, so it's not like he came all the way from deep in the hole at shortstop to cut off Tommy Edmund. But he basically cuts off Tommy Edmund on a play that Edmund could have probably made, but it would have been a close play at first base because he was so back playing in the hole for the, the, the shifted infield. And he just takes charge and, and makes a play. So he's been confident defensively, which is important to recognize if you think about, okay, what's the value of Paul DeYoung if he's just average offensively? Kind of like the Harrison Bader question. From 2018 to 2019, uh, Paul DeYoung was that 746, 762. Those were his OPS those two years. He was 857 as a rookie when he hit 25 homers. And that's, that's maybe never going to be matched again. And if you do that, that's, I mean, he didn't make the all-star team that year because he was kind of, he came on late, but 857 OPS from a shortstop that plays the kind of defense Paul DeYoung does, that's a five or six win player in terms of wins above replacement over the course of a full season. He doesn't even need to be that guy. He can be the guy that has the 750 OPS, which OPS plus, so relative to the rest of the league in 2018 when he was 746 for his OPS, that's a 102, so basically a little bit above average, league average. The next year, he was an all-star. The OPS plus with a 762 OPS was 99, which means he's just a tick below league average, so basically right on the dot. In those seasons for the Cardinals, though, he was really, really valuable because you combine what he does as uh, well above average at shortstop. I don't think there's any question about that. He may not ever win a gold glove. He's been a finalist for one, but with what he brings to the table defensively, if he can just be that kind of player offensively, and, and if he's got a 750 OPS, there will be some inconsistencies in his game. He'll strike out more than you want him to. He won't come through in the clutch as often as you think he should. That's just going to be the nature of of it for Paul Young. But in that 2019 season, looking at baseball reference, his wins above replacement was 5.3. Again, as a 99 OPS plus, he was league average. Now, he did hit 30 home runs that year, but... He didn't do a lot else offensively. That was kind of the empty home runs year for him because he just hit 233 and only slugged 444. 
despite having a 31 home run season. If he even does that, he's a five-win player. So forget what he's doing right now, OPS over 1,000. For the season, he's still got a ways to go. He's only hitting 157, even with uh, the, the nice little uptick recently. The OPS at 588. He's on his way up, though, and the Cardinals should keep putting him in the lineup every day because he's been sensational for this team. I'm just saying, I'm looking at this offense, and I'm thinking, you combine Goldie and Arenado, they're both going right now. Dylan Carlson's had an uptick. Paul DeYoung, is, he looks like a different player since coming back. He'll still strike out. He's got nine strikeouts since returning. It's a pretty high strikeout rate. But the damage is there. And if the damage keeps coming, if he continues to find those mistakes and hunt them, like he said, he was hunting for something up. He knew that Efros threw him seven sliders the last time he faced him and was ready for one. He said, if I could find something soft up in the zone, I was going to hammer it. And he did. Paul DeYoung is as good as anyone in the league at finding those mistake pitches and making the pitcher pay. Yeah, the league's going to figure him out again. Yeah, they're going to make sure they they mind the spots in the, the strike zone where they shouldn't be throwing him certain pitches. But at the end of the day, I think you're seeing enough from Paul DeYoung to expect that he's going to be able to contribute to this team offensively, defensively. He's been seventh. He doesn't have to be your star hitter. Yeah, you want Tyler O'Neill to probably pick it up from what we've talked about him, him doing recently. But I, I think there's enough raw talent in this lineup, and you're starting to see some of it get going, that the Cardinals' offense could be a certified thing moving forward if they're able to, to kind of keep it rolling the way that a lot of these guys have in the, in the batting order recently. Got to talk a little bit about Adam Wainwright, though. His performance today was not the one he wanted. He Sometimes after he's bad, and it might even be after a good outing, but he'll say, oh, my stuff was terrible tonight, and, and he'll kind of fall on the sword a little bit. He didn't do that as much today, which I thought was interesting because it was a pretty rough outing for him. Uh, the four walks is something that stands out that's very un-Wainwright-like. But he tried to grit it out, do what he could, 111 pitches, and and was only able to get the Cardinals through four-plus innings. So the same amount as Dakota Hudson, which we harped on pretty significantly on Friday for his inability to get the Cardinals very deep into his game. But at the same time, only one of these two pitchers is top 10 in the National League in all of baseball, in fact, I think Wainwright was about tied for eighth or so after today's start in innings pitched. Gave up eight hits, six earned runs, four walks. It was his worst start of the year. I think I could go back and, and parse out those numbers, but it sure felt like his worst start of the year. And those are going to happen from time to time. He talked about it being a hot day, one of those days where balls just found holes. The umpiring was obviously a problem with that Hickox as we talked about earlier. But because he couldn't go very deep into the game, you're looking at this Yankees lineup and going, we really do not want to have to use too much of our left-handed relievers, especially the ones that we haven't really trusted recently, namely TJ McFarland and Packy Naughton. McFarland has not pitched in a game since July 26th, and I guess this is the wrong series to harp on that because the Yankees do have so many right-handed sluggers in their lineup. They've got some lefties as well, but it's a pretty loaded lineup from the right side. But it just seems as though it's a mistake to have a guy that you won't trust for two full weeks to come into a game and pitch. I get it if you want to have three lefties. The Cardinals have Henesis Cabrera, Packy Naughton, and, and right now TJ McFarland. But it's interesting to have three lefties and have none of those lefties be the one that's arguably, be, arguably been your most effective lefty this season, which is Zach Thompson, who is back in the minors right now. He's going to be up, and it's inevitable that it's going to happen at some point soon. I just feel badly for TJ McFarland because it seems like it's going to be his spot sooner or later. But if the Cardinals don't give him a chance to pitch to show that maybe he deserves to stay, I know his numbers for the year have been bad. And so you might just lean back on those and say, well, he's 
he should have already been gone by now. But I, I, I mean, he's been a little better recently, but you can't even say recently because it's been now two full weeks since he has pitched, which is just crazy to me. That you'd go into a series against the Yankees and he'd be on that roster, and it worked out. The Cardinals won every game, but it just seems like the manager does not trust him to come into the game right now, and that might be justifiable. It might not be. But he's on the roster, and it's just, I feel bad for the guy because he can't even, he hasn't even been given the chance to show, like, hey, I know I sucked earlier in the year, but I'm, I, I fixed some things and I'm, I'm going to be effective here. He hasn't gotten that chance. Chris Stratton, though, is pitching like pretty much every day, which I predicted would happen. He's new Nick Whitgren, as I said. You had everyday Nick, and now it's new Nick. It's going to be Chris Stratton. And he comes into the fifth inning. I don't agree with Adam Wainwright going back out for the fifth. He was over 100 pitches already. He gives up two more base runners, and then it's Stratton's mess to clean up. That was maybe that's probably the one misstep Ali Marmol made all series, though, because he had a really good series with bullpen management and knowing when to pull a trigger on a pinch hitter, things like that, and maybe when not to in terms of Paul DeYoung coming up with not just on Friday, but today as well. Could have made an argument for somebody else perhaps in that spot, but DeYoung ends up being the guy once again, and he comes through. But from the pitching side, I don't know about Wainwright coming back out for the fifth. He just didn't see I know you. I know you're desperate to get a guy – through five innings. It shouldn't have anything to do with the win, by the way. Don't worry about the pitcher win. It's 2022. We can we can be smarter than that. But I think it was a little bit reckless to have Wainwright come back out there. But he feels like he's limited with who he can bring into this game, and you've got to find a way to cover these innings. Similar to the way the Cardinals lost a, a brutal one earlier this season when Gallegos coughed it up a few weeks ago after a lengthy comeback. When the Dodgers were in town, you felt like that night that something bad was going to happen because the Cardinals didn't have the available relievers to cover the innings. Similar situation today, but it didn't have to be when you think about, uh, not Palante. Palante was unavailable because of the four innings he threw on Friday. But when you think about Packy Naughton and TJ McFarlane, like those guys are fresh and ready to go. Naughton did come into the game and recorded two outs, but it just seemed like Ollie hasn't really been too trusting in him either since... Uh, July 30th or the 31st was the, the last time he had pitched. So it had been a week or more since we had seen Packy Naughton, and he had a, a rough outing in his last appearance, but it's like he was in the, the doghouse or something, not getting a chance. It's tough for Marmel because you want to go to right-handed relievers, I think, for the most part in this series, but you don't have the luxury to do that if, if you've got a number of righties who are down for the count. Helsley probably, uh, you were thinking, could be unavailable today, although we do end up seeing him. And, I, and without him, I don't know how the Cardinals would have done it. He comes in for the final out of the eighth inning and then gets the the, score, the ninth inning, not a scoreless ninth because he gives up the home run, but it's just one of those situations where if you don't have Helsley, and this was three appearances in four days, I think that's the first time he's done that all season, but the situation called for it, and so credit to Ali for going to him. But that's why Stratton, they tried to get him through two innings just because they didn't feel like they had the right-handed arms to get it done. Stratton had a couple of good strikeouts looking because Hickox had that strike off the plate to left-handed batters that was you could throw it at the top of the zone, four inches off the plate outside, and he'd call a strike every time. It was crazy. But Stratton was taking advantage of that. But he ends up giving up six hits and two runs. Not what you want to see, but it's just he's the guy that, that had to wear it for the Cardinals, and they tried to, to grit him through as much as they could. But credit to Jordan Hicks and Packy Naughton for the jobs that they did. They get the Cardinals successfully, for the most part, through the 7th and 8th innings. Uh, and Jordan Hicks, by the way, coming in even prior to that to finish off the 6th. He gets a big out there, pitches a scoreless 7th. 
He was really the hero of the day for the Cardinals from the pitching side. Two strikeouts, doesn't give up a hit, doesn't give up a walk. That's the Jordan Hicks the Cardinals need to see moving forward. But Packy Naughton does a nice enough job. I just, I just think it's interesting that you don't have as many healthy and available right-handers on a daily basis because you're storing that third left-hander and you're not even really willing to very often use the second left-hander. They do use Naughton today. I think you got to give Packy more shots at it. If you don't trust him, that's a conversation that's got to happen with the front office. But today he did his job. I don't know the TJ situation. It's it's wild. He's been buried there for two weeks now. It's been two full weeks since we've seen McFarland. And some Cardinals fans are like, why are you talking about that? Of course we haven't seen him. He's not any good. Well, I, if he's on the roster, you've got to have you, – you cannot afford just a an empty – hole in your bullpen to to carry along with you as dead weight for the remainder of the season just because he's got a contract. So if he's going to be on the roster, I want to see him pitch, and I want to see him get an opportunity to either succeed or he'll fail, and then if he does get, get you know, the Cardinals do decide to move on at some point, there will at least be a reason for it. But to this point, I know he struggled earlier in the season, but you can't justifiably tell me that now TJ should lose his spot on the roster when he hasn't pitched in the month of June, or pardon me, the month of August and uh, his last appearance was in Toronto. I, don't, I just don't think that's fair to the guy, fair to the pitcher. So hopefully Ollie gets him into a game here soon, and we can figure out, the Cardinals can figure out what that looks like. But that was sort of one of my takeaways from today. But the main takeaway, obviously, great job by Jordan Hicks, great job by the Cardinals offense to get done what they needed to to come up with this win. And if it's not just perfect poetry, I saw this tweet where, the Reds came back to beat the Brewers, which is why the Cardinals are now two games up on Milwaukee. Because in the 10th inning, Austin Romine scored a run for the Reds. If that's just not a sign that it's, I mean, when it's your year, it's your year. I don't know what else to say about that. Austin Romine did nothing for the Cardinals, and he's now contributing after the Cardinals uh, traded him to Cincy for cash, basically. I think he was DFA'd, and then they they let him go to the Reds. Like, now he's contributing to the Cardinals' cost for a, for a different team. It's crazy. Seven wins in a row. The Cardinals are in a great spot right now. They get the off day on Monday before they head on out to Colorado, which should be a lot of fun because that will be the uh, the Nolan Arenado, obviously, uh, homecoming tour as he gets a chance to go back to Colorado here. Always fun to see what, what's going to happen in those situations. I hope Nolan just lights it up at Coors Field. That'd be fantastic. So, no game for the Cardinals on Monday, but they'll get to a little bit later start, 7.40 Central Time on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then it's a weird time on Thursday, 2.10, the game time for the Cardinals before they head back home. It's just a quick trip to Colorado, and then they're back for another homestand, and a big one because it starts off with the Milwaukee Brewers, and they might be catching them at the right time. The Brewers have lost five out of six games since the trade deadline. Don't trade your clothes through the deadline if you're first-place team. I think that's the lesson that David Stearns hopefully has learned from this, but for the Cardinals' sake, hopefully he didn't. Hopefully he continues to think he can play both sides at the deadline, which, again, if you're a math nerd and you're sitting, if you're playing MLB The Show or if you're playing fantasy baseball or fantasy football and the players, there's no actual human interaction with with the decisions that you have to make. It's just numbers on a page. The, what the, the Brewers did at the deadline can work in that case. I think they underestimated what it does to a clubhouse to subtract, even if the games that they've lost wouldn't have been changed by Josh Hader, which isn't even true because they had multiple games that were blown in extra innings, walk-offs against the Pirates. But even if that weren't the case, in the physical act of Josh Hader not being there didn't change the outcome. 
it still would be a justification for the, the, the way they're playing right now because of the morale of the clubhouse declining. So I think it's a fascinating look at the way the Brewers have just absolutely imploded since the trade deadline and the decisions that team made. They're going to have to grapple with that. The clubhouse is going to have to get themselves together, rally, find something to rally around. Rally around hating your GM if you have to, but that's uh, or your Pobo, whatever whatever they call Stearns up there, and it, try to figure out a way to get this thing back together because the Brewers are a talented team. I just think the Cardinals are more talented, though. I think the Cardinals have, at least now that they've gotten the trades for Montgomery and Quintana, I think they have the deeper pitching staff. They can withstand an injury even at this point and still manage to be okay because you can slot Palante in. Jack Flaherty's supposed to go out on rehab soon. We'll see if they get Mats back in September. Even if not, you've got more depth than you had. And the Brewers, they've got depth. They've got really good talent, but they've also dealt with their fair share of injuries in that rotation. And I, I feel like the Cardinals can match up mano a mano there in the rotation as of right now. Maybe more high-end talent upside on the Brewers' side, but with the injuries, I think it comes out to be pretty much a wash at their best the Cardinals have a better offense without a doubt and right now we're seeing the Cardinals offense at their base at least what we saw on Sunday bullpen maybe a little bit of a different conversation the Brewers have several good relievers but they haven't been pitching that well lately and there's no Josh Hader in that room anymore so it's almost like they've you know the veil has been lifted it's like the Wizard of Oz you pull the curtain back and now now they're human and and the Cardinals smell blood in the water and they are not letting up Seven consecutive wins. It's been really impressive. And the most fun series that I can remember at Bush Stadium in the regular season ever. Since I started covering the team, I cannot remember a more fun full three-game series than what we saw this weekend against the Yankees. I asked the question on Twitter. I know some people said uh, the Padres last year during that 17-game winning streak. I know in 2015, which was the year before I started covering the team, uh, they had a, a, a sweep of three walk-offs in a row against the Pirates who won 98 games that year. So that was a good series, but just the, the the electric atmosphere that happens because of the Yankees being in town and the Yankees coming in as the best team in the American League. I think the Astros have now passed him for record after what the Cardinals did to New York, but like this was something else. Every single game felt like a playoff game. It was electric in the building. The Cardinals stood tall to the test. I think that's what's most important. If we learned anything from this weekend, you can look at the records and you can say, well, the Cardinals, they've won a lot of games, but they still probably aren't in line for uh, like a like a buy in the National League playoffs. They're not going to be one of the top two seeds. That's going to be the Mets or the Braves, whoever wins out east and then the Dodgers out west. But I don't really think it matters. I think the Cardinals earning themselves potentially a chance to play a three-game wildcard series at home because if you win the division, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get that, that series against the lowest wildcard achiever. And the Cardinals right now two games up. So you're earning that opportunity, and I think you're just showing that you can play with anybody. It's really important that the Cardinals have been able to show this. They've taken care of the, the games that they should win, like the Cubs, and then coming into this weekend, I think I, I even said, just don't get swept. Like, win one out of three at a minimum. Tread water. Hope that the Brewers maybe drop two of three, which they, they do end up doing, but hope for that, and then enter the next week against Colorado and Milwaukee, ready to, to kind of ascend in the Central. It happened the total other way. The Cardinals win all three. They're still riding high, and the momentum has been reinforced because of what they were able to do to this Yankees team. So pretty exciting times to uh, be talking Cardinals baseball. I'm not entirely sure we'll do a podcast on Monday. If you're listening to this podcast Monday and you're saying that's BS, Brendan, I don't care what you talk about. As long as it's Cardinals baseball, give us a podcast, even though there's no game on Monday night. 
direct message me at bshafer12 on Twitter. And if I get if I get people doing that, it'll be enough to tell me, all right, people want a show, we'll give them a show. And uh, you guys can tell me what to talk about. But otherwise, it'll be Tuesday night after the game, the next time I, I record. Uh, like I said, we'll leave that up to you guys. If anybody reaches out, I might try to put something together uh, for Monday night. The last time we had an off day, we talked about what the 2024 Cardinals lineup could look like, predicting it based on uh, who was still here after the trade deadline and the direction that could go. You can scroll back in your podcast feed if you'd like to listen to that episode. Maybe that's something to do on Monday if you're looking for some extra content and you haven't heard that one already. But otherwise, you can listen to The Big Show, KTGR and KTGR.com, also on the KTGR app from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Myself and Andy Humphrey will be talking plenty about the Cardinals' series win over the Yankees. Pretty fun weekend at Bush. I had a lot of fun doing B-Shape Dailies. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.